The subject today is wise men still bow down. Wise men still bow down. We'll be coming from the text of Matthew chapter 2. So we'll, we'll be going through that text uh, fairly quickly in a, in a conversational manner. Uh, so we can kind of get an idea of what uh, this text is about. Now, I, I want to give you a quick recap on last week. Last week we talked about this extraordinary Savior uh, who came to us in an extraordinary manner through this extraordinary birth. You had Mary, uh, his mother, the mother of Jesus, who was a virgin, and we explained how, how Christ uh, uh, came through the seed of Mary, if you will. You have uh, Joseph, this extraordinary father, extraordinary father who, who, had, who was mindful and said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce Mary. I'm going to end the engagement. I'm going to break it off. And I'm going to do it in such a way that, that it's kind of private. I don't want to embarrass her because after all, she is with child and yet we're not married. We're not married. And so here was, here was Joseph, this extraordinary father who listened, who obeyed and had this extraordinary obedience to say that, that no, Joseph, you're not going to put, the angel said, you're not going to put away Mary. You're not going to get rid of her. You are going to marry her. You'll have a son and you will call his name Jesus. And the key there is, as Matthew points out, you'll call him Jesus because the word Jesus is Yeshua, and it means, it means God saves. And so Matthew says it like this. He says, you'll call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. How wonderful is that? When you think for a moment of the depth of your own sin, I shudder in my own life when I think about that Christ came to save me from the depth of my sin. If it had not been for Jesus, how low would you go? If it had not been for Christ coming into your life, how how far would you have traveled down the pathway of just open sin? I don't know about you, but if it had not been for Christ in my life, I, I don't know that there would have been a limit until I probably would have killed myself or something like that uh, to, to where my sin would have taken me. Because sin is unrelenting. Sin does not stop just because you're in a tough spot. Sin wants to kill you. Sin wants to destroy your life. And not just your life, but the lives of everyone around you. The lives of people that you love. Sin is just that destructive. And so here's Jesus being born to save his people from their sin. Now, one of the modern challenges in sharing from the account of, of, of Jesus is that we must make a serious and firm distinction from what is biblically accurate and that which has become accepted as scripture down through the years. 
You know, we've all seen how modern culture has portrayed things, how tradition has said things. And, and so we have to weigh in the balance. What does the Bible really say? And what have we come to know in terms of this as tradition or things that have just been commonly accepted? And it's interesting to note and important to say that everything we learned about the birth of Christ as children may not be what the Bible actually says. For example, as a child, I learned that there were three wise men or kings. Anybody else here? Three? Yeah, you heard that right. Three wise men or kings uh, uh, who came to visit Jesus in the manger, the place of his birth. I mean, just he, they were there, right? That's what we learned. That's what we're taught. It was not until the Lord compelled me to actually study the text that I realized the Bible does not say how many. There's no text that says there were three wise men, right? Or even that it was, the text doesn't even say that their visit came right after his birth. You don't, you don't see that. Sometimes it is difficult to stand contrary to that which we have accepted as truth. In fact, there are songs like We Three Kings. We Three Kings of Orient, right? And, and those are songs that we sung and we accepted as, well, there must have been three. Okay? But these songs depict what very well may not be the circumstances surrounding these visitors who came to the Christ child. And it's dangerous to tag anything as the most, right? You know, like you're the most this or the most that. That's always dangerous because it's very subjective. It means, you know, who, whoever sees something says, oh, that's the most. Well, that's, that's your opinion, right? So, so but, but, you know, I'm going to try to do it here anyway. <clears throat> Besides Jesus himself, <clears throat> perhaps the most misunderstood and mischaracterized individuals in the whole Bible are surely these three kings who came to worship Jesus when he was born. Nearly every nativity scene that you see includes the three kings, right? Okay, You are likely very familiar with images that show them wearing the draping garments, riding camels, walking across seamlessly endless dunes of sand. As they journey, there's a star twinkling brightly in the sky. So where's the mischaracterization? There probably, as I said, were not three of them. They didn't follow a star across a desert. The camels are legend. They didn't go directly to Bethlehem. They didn't arrive with Jesus in a manger. And they weren't kings of anything. Now, other than that, (laughs) everything's pretty accurate. Which is to say that almost nothing commonly understood about these visitors is correct. Almost everything we will see today in this text will cause us to rethink years of what we have assumed to be true. Why they came, though, 
is the key truth that changed them. And it just might change you. So let's turn to our text in Matthew 2. Scripture says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men, doesn't say how many. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Matthew places the events of this visit as after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. How long after? We'll see that explained later on. It is still in the days of Herod the king. So who is Herod? He is known as Herod the Great. King Herod in the sense that he was a provincial king under the Roman Empire. He was called Herod the Great in that he accomplished many things, and he was very talented. He was well-educated. He was extremely politically savvy. He was, believe it or not, a martial arts expert. Who knew they had WWE and all that stuff back then, right? (laughs) You see Herod the Great in a cage match, right? But um, he was a Renaissance man. A man for his time. He is most known for his building project. He was biblically famous for his renovations of the temple in Jerusalem. By any measure, Herod was a marvel. He built many marvels, including some still visible like the Masada and the Herodium. He was also exceptionally ruthless and later in his life he was a paranoid schizophrenic he was especially paranoid at any threat to his throne this led him to kill his own mother and two sons lest they would overthrow his throne now you know that's pretty raw right you kill your mama and two of your children because of your paranoia. As an example of Herod's ego and derangement, he made arrangements that at his death, one nobleman from each noble family would be killed to ensure that people were crying at his funeral. That's pretty deep, isn't it? One day, in the throne room of the palace, an entourage walked into Jerusalem that that immediately grabs everyone's attention, including Herod. Who were they? Sometimes called magi. The ESV translates it as wise men. These were Babylonian astrologers. Now, astrology today is relegated to to horoscopes and palm readers. Uh, And I know some of y'all still look in the paper every day. I done heard, you think I'll be listening, right? I done heard, well, you know he a Gemini. You know how those Geminis, 
one side on one, one side on the other. <laughs> Be like, you hear people like, that's true, that's true, you know. But in those days, the ancient world, the stars and their movements were carefully studied and recorded. Those who did so were of an educated class and served world leaders as advisors and general counsel. They came from the east or modern-day Iraq. It was a month's journey to get from where they came from to Jerusalem. In a city pulsating with messianic expectation, ruled by a paranoid schizophrenic like Herod, whose trigger point was threats to his power. Can you imagine anything more provocative and seditious than high-ranking foreign officials arriving and asking audaciously this question, where's the king, the new king of Israel? How long do you think that took them to get to the throne room of Herod? I'll say maybe five seconds. (laughs) Given Herod's paranoia. What? What new king? Who are these guys? You can see Herod saying, did did they check their credentials? They're PhDs from the University of Baghdad, huh? They're fluent. In Hebrew as well, very impressive. What makes them think a new king was born here? Well, here's what, look at the text. It says, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. That sense alone is filled with all kinds of intrigue. Let's start with this ideal of seeing his star. What is that? We've seen his star. What star? The famous star. You know, the one that you see in every scene of the nativity. That star. What star? There is incredible conjecture in theological circles concerning this star. Now, remember, the movement of stars was seen as signs from the heavens. They meant something. We see a star and we think, Solar systems far, far away. I was listening to the radio one night. It was pretty late, maybe 10 o'clock. I was driving in my car, and a commercial came on for this company that will sell you naming rights to a star. People will make money off anything. I'm just saying. How are you selling me naming rights (laughs) to something you don't own? I mean, the reason you can name your children because they're yours. <laughs> but they, they actually will tell you where the star is. You purchase it, and you can take your sweetheart outside on a clear night. Brother Harper, you can take Sister Harper out there and say, look up there, baby. I named that star after you. That's the Ann Harper right there. <laughs> But that's what, that's what, they, and so, and so we, we have been fascinated by stars. But when I think of stars, I think of things far away. We see a 
a meteor, and we, we don't attach any historical significance to a meteor. How many of us see a shooting star and think, I better make a wish? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's going to come true, right? Still, get, still don't have those winning lottery numbers, do you? <laughs> but these men, these magi, were very learned and sharp men. They weren't fringe bloggers or those who follow conspiracy theories. They saw something that spurred them to travel a very long distance to meet a new king. Now think about that. To travel a month journey in those days was not only incredibly tedious, it wasn't like you just got in your car and said, I'm going to drive to to Alabama, Mississippi, or Florida, or whatever the case may be. You had to travel long distance. It was rough. It was dirty. It was, it was, listen, the threat of being robbed was very great. You know, even from Jerusalem to Jericho, we read in the Gospels, right, that the, 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 the man fell among thieves. The story of the Good Samaritan, that wasn't that far of a distance. So the threat of being robbed on the road was very, very strong. And they traveled an entire month to meet a new king. What exactly did they see in the sky? Now, it is likely, my brothers and sisters, that what they saw was a comet. And Professor Colin Nichol wrote a book saying essentially that the only astronomical or celestial body that could behave like what the wise men saw is a comet. Now, you're familiar, ever heard the term Halley's Comet, right? Or 20 years ago, the Hale-Bopp Comet. Anybody remember that one? That might be a little more obscure. I remember I was driving back from, from, from Memphis, Tennessee 20 years ago, and I was with my mom and, and my great aunt, and we were, we were riding in the car, and I looked up in the sky, and it was just amazing that this comet was right there. And you could see the tail of the comet with the naked eye and all of that stuff. These comets can stay visible for months, and they move very slowly across the sky. Professor Nichol takes the biblical text as accurate and goes back into the cycle of the stars to show that around the time of Jesus' birth, there was a constellation of stars visible, visible known as Virgo, which also means virgin. Think of that. What would have been a star to them? They didn't know or understand about comets. And it comes forth from the constellation Virgin. They see it and they connect it with Old Testament scriptures that were brought to Babylon with the Jewish captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. So when the Jews were captive under Nebuchadnezzar, guess what? They brought their Bibles with them. They brought their Bibles with them. And here's what, here's what it says in Numbers 24 and 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is Isaiah 9 and 2. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light Shown. And then in Isaiah 7 14, as you heard 
read today. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, these astrologers connect what they are seeing in the heavens with what they had studied in the Hebrew scriptures. And they concluded the prophesied king has been born in Jerusalem. Let's go and see him. So they packed their gear and they head out. Where did they go? They didn't go to Bethlehem. Perhaps they didn't have the prophecy of Micah. Why did they go to Jerusalem? Where else would the king of the Jews be born or residing than in the capital city of Israel, which was Jerusalem? So anybody who wanted to go see a king would go to the capital. Now, Matthew writes, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And look at that last phrase, and all Jerusalem with him. This upset people. We have a king. And now you come and asking us, where's the new king? <clears throat> and so it says, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, meaning Herod, where the Christ was to be born. They told him. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now Herod, Herod was no biblical scholar, (laughs) to say the least. But any Jewish scholar who took an Old Testament one-on-one class knew that the great king would be born in the city of David, Bethlehem. And all his wise men say the same thing. Now look at verse 7. It says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. This is almost like a, like a soap opera. <laughs> I mean, stuff is happening right here that's got some intrigue. And so he says, what time to start appear? And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Herod assumes that the star's appearance marked Jesus' birth. We see his murderous plot forming he goes on and says i would love to worship this child king myself would you find the child and come back and let me know brothers and sisters herod had no intention none zero no intention and no interest in worshiping christ he wanted to kill jesus he wanted to destroy him How dare someone be born king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. 
And so after listening to the king, the wise men, these magi, they went on their way. How did they know where to go? Bethlehem, my brothers and sisters, only five miles from Jerusalem. Essentially, it's just right down the hill. Well, how did they know? No doubt they stopped along the way and just like some of us would do, say, hey, how do you get to Bethlehem? Well, take that road down there and just keep going until you get there. You run right into it. Five miles. It's just over there. Now, here's what we see. It says, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. On their way, they look up, and what do they see? Now, if this Professor Nichols theory is correct, they see the same comet, only now it is not upward like a scepter. It is shaped downward. On the horizon, it would appear to point to something. Now, this demonstrates, my brothers and sisters, if you have any question about God's sovereignty at all. Here is where the sovereign God that we serve shows his incredible power because he is able to orchestrate all things so that the alignment of the horizon and this comet come into play where they see it's pointing right to where Jesus is. Somebody ought to give God some praise right there, right? What a sovereign God we serve. Now, the wise men rejoice exceedingly. Another sign. It may have been a star miracle. It may have been a cosmological providence from God. Either way, they find the house where Jesus was living. Now listen, taking Herod's actions as an indication, Jesus was somewhere at this time under two years old. Okay, because we, we know when you, when you think about the timeline and we have some reasonable timeline that Herod probably died somewhere between 2 and 4 B.C. So we can kind of put the birth of Jesus and this. And the reason we know that because of the time in which Herod's sons take over. Now, some scholars have thought, well, maybe Herod was sharing power with his son. No way. This guy had two of his kids killed. And his mother killed, or his, uh, the, their mother killed as well. So, and, and she was his favorite wife, by the way. <laughs> now, you know you got to be pretty low down, Dex, if you, if you off your favorite wife. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, so, so here, here, was, here was Herod. And Jesus was somewhere about two years old. And verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now don't miss that. And going into the house. This is not the stable. This is not baby Jesus in a manger. He is probably walking around, doing what little kids do, trying to get into everything. Getting on his mother's nerves. 
but they were in the house. And they fell down and they worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They didn't even go back to Jerusalem. Tradition says there were three wise men, and here's the reason why this tradition came about, because there were three gifts listed, okay? Um, Nobody knows what is noteworthy about the gifts is the things for which these gifts were used. Now, one scholar says this, gold was always for a king. Frankincense was always for a priest, and myrrh was for one who was to die. Oh, praise God today. These were the gifts of the wise men, and even at the cradle of birthplace of Christ, they foretold that he was to be a true king. He was to be the perfect high priest, and in the end, he was to die the savior of men. Now you know why. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now you can go through the rest of this text later on, but God warns the wise men in a dream against telling them Herod, and they go back to Babylon by a different route, as we said. An angel warns Joseph to get out of there, and they escape to Egypt, perhaps paying for the trip with the wise men's gifts. Herod finds out he has been tricked, and he goes to Bethlehem, And he kills every child to and under in the region. Now, this section ends with the wise men on their month-long journey back. Joseph and Mary and Jesus in Egypt. Families devastated in Bethlehem. And the king fuming that a star-announced child who might be the legitimate king of Israel. Now here's what I want each of us to ask ourselves today. Spiritually speaking, who in this story reminds you of you? Herod the Great, the scribes of Jerusalem, or the wise men of Babylon? So the first question we ask, am I like Herod? The wise men were overjoyed at Jesus' birth, not Herod. For Herod, Jesus represented a threat to his identity. He was, after all, Herod the Great. His whole self-identity was wrapped up in his prestige. Herod was king of his world. He built what he wanted to build. He did what he wanted to do. He slept with who he wanted to sleep with. He murdered who he wanted to murder. He was Herod the Great. But there's one thing that Herod knew about himself. He knew that the galaxies did not announce his birth. No ancient scriptures whispered his name. 
No foreign dignitaries arrived when Herod was born. In other words, he was Herod the Great. But compared to a king that the heavens announced, he really was Herod not that great. Right? His response is very similar to some people who hold Christianity in such contempt. Jesus always represents for them a threat to our vision of personal greatness. He is a threat to our moral freedom to live the way we want to live. That's why people have so much trouble with you as Christians. You Christians tell me I can't live the way I want to live. I can't do what I want to do. Who wants to live like that? A threat is Jesus to the monuments that we have built of our own self-importance. We're all a little paranoid schizophrenic about ourselves. We think we are the great until our little kingdoms encounter someone far greater and far more glorious. Someone that ancient prophecies predicted. Someone that stars and angels announced his birth. If Jesus is God, incarnate, born, supernatural of a virgin, then I, Raymond Dix, not so great. Did a few things in my life. I accomplished a few things. One of my athletic claims to fame, and they are very few. The list is short, Brother Davis. One of my athletic claims to fame is that there was an NBA player by the name of Sedell Three. This is back in the 80s, and he played ball for the, the 76ers and the Bulls. And he was from Atlanta, and I was living in Atlanta during that time. And, and man, I had to D up Sedale Three one day. And I'm playing a game in a pickup game, and he's on the court. And this is just a thrill for me, Jones. I'm just looking, and I'm like, man, this guy is in the NBA. And he went to go to the basket, and I managed to strip the ball from him without fouling him, at least in my mind. You know how it is on the pickup court. That, that wasn't a foul. <laughs> That's not a foul. That's not a foul. That's it. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> My personal high point on the basketball court. So when I think about greatness, of course, Jesus far exceeds any personal idea of greatness that I might have. No star Announced my coming. My mother did not get a visit from an angel. There was no frankincense to honor me. They probably bought formula and diapers. (laughs) We see the lordship of Jesus not only in his resurrection, but also in his incarnation. He begins his life galactically glorious. That lordship places a moral and spiritual ultimatum upon the pride of 
every human being. Unless we bow to him, we want him dead. And what I mean by that is we want his influence dead in our lives. If you're not bowing to Christ, then what you're really saying is that I want your influence over me to die. Many people stumble at the gospel on that very point. Like Herod, their pride and self-importance cannot tolerate a rival, much less a king. Nobody can tell me what to do. Really, even if the stars say he's more glorious than you are, could you possibly be a Herod? So here's the next question. Maybe you're not a Herod. Ask yourself, am I like the scribes? Now, it's a pretty shocking picture here. When asked where the Messiah would be born, the scribes would say, everybody knows the prophet Micah. Micah says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Even with the incredible news of stars aligning with prophecy and scholars arriving from a long way off, not one of them has enough personal interest to walk down the hill from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Do you notice that? Not one. These are men who studied the Old Testament And here, these visitors come on a month-long journey. The stars are in alignment, and nobody says, we better go check this out. Not one of them. Seemed like they could have been curious, maybe because they were visitors from out of town. That's kind of like somebody coming to visit you from out of town, and they've never been to the city where you live, and, and instead of showing them around, you're just going about your business. That's pretty rude, isn't it? (laughs) At least they could have walked down the hill to check it out. They were theologians. It would seem like if anybody would go, it would be the theologians. But they don't, not one. Maybe I could be like the scribes. I don't know. Could I? Do you know the details of the story of Christmas? Can you name all the folks At the nativity scene, are you a religious person? Maybe from childhood. Yet in spite of all the head knowledge that we accumulate at the heart level, your personal investment in Jesus and his kingdom might be basically absent. We know what's right in our head. But what about in our heart? What personal investment have we made in Christ? Churches filled with people around Christmas time. But where are they? the rest of the year. They know the answers, but they won't walk down the hill. Spiritually interested, but only to a point. Are you like a scribe in this story? Now, finally, the last question I'll ask you, am I like the wise men? This is why Matthew includes this in his gospel. The wise men put to shame the Jewish scribe and the king of Israel. How do they do this? They aren't supposed to be here in the first place. These are Gentiles. 
Have you thought about that? Now, you know how the Jews felt about the Gentiles. Maybe that's why they wouldn't go down the hill with them. I don't know. But, but here are Gentiles who have come from a month-long journey, rough journey, dirty journey, to see the one who is born king of the Jews. They are a people group that destroyed the temple and kidnapped the nation's leaders and wealth, took them all into captivity. They are pagan idol worshipers by birth, not good Jewish guys. They are astrologers, which is actually condemned in the Old Testament. But I ask this question, who did Jesus come to save? Who flocks to him while religious types resent him? Guess who comes to Jesus? It's the prostitutes. It's the drunkards. It's the addicts. It's the people who are considered the dregs of society. They are the ones that say, where is he born king of the Jews? Here are the Gentiles joining with tax collectors. Yes, the astrologers. The Gentile astrologers bowing before Jesus is a microcosm of all that Jesus' story would unveil. From the beginning of Jesus' story, even as a kid, it's the marginalized, the unexpected, those who we would never think would come to Jesus are the ones who are flocking to him, even as he is a child. It is the very questionable types who have the insight, the desire to ask this question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We are here to worship him. And God arranges the heavens and sends comets to make sure people like the Magi have the incredible privilege to bow at the feet of Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, what about us? God doesn't use stars to tell the story of Jesus' birth today. Right now, in our day and age, he uses Scripture and he uses Christians and churches, and he has you here in this place today by his divine sovereign power. You are here because God wants you to hear this story. He wants you to not only hear this story, but he wants this story to resonate in your heart so much so that you can't wait to tell it. So much so that you like that old song that says, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go and tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Think about what happens when your heart gets involved with the news that you have in your head. Huh? Somebody you really been liking 
you find out they like you back. Now your heart gets mixed up with the news that's in your head. And what do you do? You pick up the phone and you call your girlfriend. Girl, let me tell you. He likes me. He told me today that he likes me. And you can't wait to tell that news because it's now on a heart level. Oh, what would happen if Christians ever got the gospel on a heart level? What would happen if what we knew in our head got mixed up with what we feel in our heart to the point that we could not help to tell men and women, boys and girls everywhere, that Jesus Christ is the only way. Oh, bless the Lord. There wouldn't be room enough to, to put all the people in this auditorium today. We'd have to go to five and six services because Christians got in their heart the story of Jesus and his gospel and said, we're going to tell everybody. We're not just going to sit at home this Christmas season. Drink apple cider, hot chocolate, eat nice and delicious food, sing a few Christmas carols, hold hands, snuggle with the ones we love. We're not just going to do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to go and take this story of Jesus' birth and what it means to the world. And we're going to share it. We're going to be like those magi, those wise men. And we're going to bow down to him who is born king, him who is born king to take away the sins of the world. We're going to bow down, and we're going to tell people why we bow down. We bow down because he alone is worthy to be worshiped and praised. Come on, praise the Lord in this place today.